Good morning, friends. I am so delighted to have you here and delighted to get to gather. Christmas doesn't come on a Sunday very often. You might have noticed this. It sort of ruins a lot of plans, but also gives us invitation to do other things. Let's pray. God, you who are our holy mystery, we rejoice in the ways that you make yourself known. In the human flesh, you chose to wrap yourself in, in the frailty of breath and blood. We thank you for your mercy. We ask that you would lead us into the light. In the name of Jesus, amen. As you already know, today is an important day for those of us who believe in Jesus, because today we celebrate the birth of Christ, this long-awaited Messiah, the promised Savior, true God of true God. In the first section of Luke chapter 2, in just a few short verses, the story unfolds. Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem to be counted for the census. They stay in a stable because there's not any room anywhere else, and then the time comes. The child is born. The miraculous one has finally come. And during our time together this morning, we're going to reflect on this story, the story of the birth of Jesus, or perhaps more accurately, the story just after the birth of Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at this story in all of its strangeness. Now, I would like to clarify before I use this word a lot in our sermon kind of what we're going to mean today by the word strange. In other contexts, strange may carry a bit of a different connotation, one that's maybe a little more negative than it is positive. Um, I think that's because it emphasizes the differentness as well as the threat that comes from something that is unknown. But for our purposes and our intents this morning, we're going to lean into the other elements of the word strange unusual, surprising, previously unknown, unexpected, foreign or alien, different. This strangeness in our story is not a negative reality, but rather the distinctiveness of the story from the anticipated, common, unsurprising social norms. So let's consider our story from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 20. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as it had been told them. In this story, you might notice many distinctive elements composing this unusual narrative. First, we see that the one that the story centers around, this child named Jesus, this baby in a manger, is God. This strange newborn is divine. This is not a totally unknown possibility for the readers of the first century. After all, we know even now that many in Greek and Roman mythology uh, contain stories where uh, a god came down and had a baby with a human, this partial god and partial man. But this is certainly new for Israel. They don't have any context for this, no stories in their history, no experiences that would give them a way to interpret God who was now human. This coming of God had been expected, of course, and prophesied, which we've been talking about for many weeks. And there were even those at the time who were saying that the presence of God was at hand. The time of God had come. But most of them expected a savior in the form of a warrior, right? A ruler, maybe a religious leader, but certainly an extreme one. But all of those are grown adults. So a child? A baby? This coming of God was unexpected, and there was no more strange reality than this. And when we consider the implications of it, what it means for God to be human, we see the depth of its strangeness. God, who since Eden had tried to be with God's people, was now fully present with them. Not in a ghost-like form, not in a floating otherworldly body, gently transparent, but a human child, born like every other human child, a baby, screaming, red-faced, vulnerable. Gods in the stories made themselves into humans for the sake of a good party, to start a war, to get revenge. But a God who came to be with creation to know them, to save them, that's unimaginable. This strange God comes also to the poor, to the young, to the unpowerful and unknown. Bethlehem, though it has the moniker City of David, is not exactly a metropolis in the ancient world. Mary, Jesus' mother, is not a woman of noble blood, not an exceptionally skilled worker, not a devotee at the temple of God, but just a girl. Joseph, his human father, is a carpenter, just a construction worker, a blue-collar kind of man. 
Neither of them have a history of familial wealth. Neither of them are nepotism babies. No parent is well-known or famous or distinct, except that now they are parents to God. And this demonstrates another strangeness of this God, that those God chooses are not powerful, but ordinary. What a strange way to make God known in the world by an ordinary human household in an ordinary Judean town. The second strangeness of our story is the people who carry and receive the message. Our reading today focused on telling the interaction of the angels and the shepherds. And maybe calling the angels strange is a bit of a low ball rather than a high ball, because in some regards, angels are inherently strange. Although they show up several times in the larger story of Jesus's narrative, uh, they're not exactly a normal happening. Often when angels bring messages to humans, they start off saying, do not be afraid. This tells us that angels are strange and frightening creatures in themselves. Their messages run counter to logic or human experience at times. And their work to accomplish what God had sent them to say makes them surprising-looking messengers with strange, shocking, hard-to-believe, life-changing messages. They bring their message of good news to the shepherds, and then, as if heaven was so overcome with joy and wonder that it could not be contained, multitudes burst onto the scene. It is if a pinprick of light, a singular presence of God, is expanded in a moment, like the sun has suddenly come. They are glorifying God and offering peace to all who dwell on earth. And these heavenly beings bring the message to the second group, the shepherds. And the shepherds themselves probably could not be more ordinary. Except, of course, that they're visited in the middle of the night by a chorus of singing voices from heaven. Shepherds work a crucial but complex job, watching over flocks of sheep. This would include some that might be their own sheep, but also the flocks of other people. They were contracted and worked over many groups. Sheep can be a bit foolish, as you may have heard. So ensuring none wander off and get eaten by something or stuck in a ditch in the middle of the night is a bit of a tricky task. And the message of the heavens in the form of one angel and then an unnumbered multitude is very disruptive to their work. I can imagine the confusion and the awe and the fear on an ordinary night in an ordinary field to ordinary shepherds. Strange messengers come bringing a strange message. When the angels depart, returning to heaven, maybe slowly fading or kind of all at once, I can imagine the silence of the shepherds as they take a second to digest what has just happened. And then they start speaking over one another in a rush, voices overlapping. They leave their flocks behind unguarded, and go into the city nearby. Their continued employment, just to be clear, and the safety of their flocks is at risk by leaving them in the field. But the message that they have received is too important for them to be caught up with what they have. They have to know if it's true. 
As they traveled to the town, I see them knocking on doors, asking, do you have a stable? Do you have a baby? Is this the house? Waking people up as the sun just begins to peek over the horizon, upsetting all of the neighbors. And they find the child, the right baby in the right manger. And when they find him, they rejoice and immediately begin sharing the news of what they had been told. I see them stopping just a moment to look at the child, to speak to the parents, and then rushing off to share the news. They're shouting into open windows and waking up the neighbors they just woke up, knocking on doors, grabbing people off the street. Did you hear the good news? Those who heard it, this strange sharing of the gospel, were amazed, the text tells us. The shepherds, now evangelists, do return to their work in the fields, glorifying God and praising God for the wonder of what they had seen and heard. So the third strangeness, now apparent to us, is the strange news the thing that the shepherds were sharing with everyone they could get their hands on. The angel said that it was good news, right? Good news for all people of great joy. On this very day, in this very city, a Savior had been born. Messiah, God in human flesh. And in this news, this short line about what has just occurred, we see something astonishing, almost more than the reality of a human God, almost more surprising than the presence of angelic beings. According to the angel's message, this God is for all people. All people. No God was like this. Gods came to be served, not themselves to serve, right? And even if a god was generous and offered good things to their people, it was only to those within their space. That was sort of the point of the system of worship, right? You connect yourself to a given god in the hopes that they might be generous and benevolent and provide you with rain for your crops when you need it. But a god who would offer good things to those outside was impossible. A God whose presence was not a threat for those not in their group? Somehow still a blessing? This is the God who has come into the world. Who could imagine it? What kind of a God was this? A God who came for all people. This God whose welcome was for everyone, whose presence was for all, whose peace was offered to all on earth. Certainly this message is the opposite of expected. It is not normal, it is not usual. Just as strange as the God who tells of it, and the messengers who share it. We've heard now of the strange God, the strange messengers, and the strange news. Our role 
in this Christmas story is to become strange bearers of that news. In fact, we cannot tell this story. We cannot live this story without committing to the strangeness of all of it. There is no way to make the presence of God in human flesh a normal, expected, familiar reality. There is no way to live out the deep love that would come from a divine throne into the form of a human child without a little strangeness. This is not about being weird to other people on purpose or acting oddly in order to catch someone off guard and suddenly tell them about Jesus, but rather that the good news of the Christ child, the wonder of God's deep love, the open hand of forgiveness, is inescapably strange, unavoidably unfamiliar, shockingly surprising, and completely unusual. Even if we have heard this story a million and one times, the reality of it is anything other than ordinary. For us, there are many reasons why we might avoid the strangeness of this story. Some of it might come from our own desire to make the incarnation as normal as possible. Isn't there a case to be made that an easily palatable, not super strange story is better for people to believe? And because we want people to believe, we convince ourselves that turning down the strangeness of it is our best method for helping other people come to faith. And so we do. We dilute it. And some of it might be because we don't want to place ourselves on the outside to lean into the oddity of Christian faith and away from society's expectations and norms. To really wrestle with the reality of what a strange God means for us. Some of it, I think, is because we simply assume that everybody knows the story. When the truth is that the story itself is often told watered down, even when we tell it, in a simple but just left of ordinary way. Few truly grasp the strangeness of this story. And if we have forgotten the truth of it, then we are not good tellers of it. For our everyday lives to follow the truth of the Christmas story, we also have to live and tell strangely. What does that look like for other people? Living ourselves as strangers means living a life of peace and advocating and respecting the rights of those we don't understand and those we don't agree with. It means working all day only to give our money away to those with medical debt, unstable housing, too many mouths, and too little food. It means being strangers who offer mercy and second and third and fourth chances to people who have hurt us, people who have disrespected us, those who insult us. We become ourselves strangers 
when we welcome everyone into our homes and our lives, when we listen before we speak, when we look not for ourselves, but for the good of others. We tell the strange message when we stop and help someone, when we offer to pray, when we defend those who are downtrodden, when we share the joy of our God. We are strangers with a strange message that we shout into open windows and make known with our changed lives. We proclaim by our priorities, our words, our actions, our hopes, our goals, our very lives, that there is a Savior who came unexpectedly in a barn to a young mother and her callous hand husband. We proclaim that this baby is the Messiah, the long-expected Savior, and the best news we've ever heard. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.